The reading today is from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 42. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there where no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they, as they were entering, uh, untying the colt, his, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising uh, God in loud, loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be. May be seated. Good morning, everyone. I have been sick this week and finally got over. It was just like just a little cold. Don't worry, it wasn't the Rona. You know, everything's okay. Uh, at Thursday, working on my sermon from home, couch, barely could breathe. I thought I was gonna have to text Sam, send him my notes, and that he was just gonna be lost preaching it this week. Thankfully, that didn't happen. So, yeah, I, I figured you would, Sam. Uh, well, today's Palm Sunday. If you don't know what Palm Sunday is, it's the day that we're celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In the Gospel of Matthew, we would see people laying down palm branches as Jesus is taking this journey into Jerusalem. We don't see it in this particular passage that we read, but you would see that in Matthew's Gospel. And if you're new to this and you're like, why palm branches? Why do we call this Palm Sunday? Why is that significant at all? Well, palm branches weren't just a convenient thing that they saw. Like, oh, there's some palm branches. I'm going to grab those and put them down. Palm branches were rather, they were really symbolic. They represented peace and victory in the first century. And so as they're putting these palm branches down, they're saying that this is the victorious king. This is the king who has come to bring peace. He is the one who is going to change things. See, Palm Sunday isn't uh, just about this idea that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. It's about recognizing that a new king has been inaugurated. It's recognizing that something has shifted, something has happened, and that his kingdom is at work today. It's recognizing that this dramatic shift has happened. But this kingdom has a tension to it. It's difficult in this kingdom because it's this already kingdom. Jesus has come in his first coming. He started to establish his kingdom, but his kingdom's also not yet. It's this, this idea, this weird tension where it's already but not yet. It's here, but it's still to come. And we live in this in-between time. This is what we like to call inaugurated eschatology. 
And I know I just lost like half of you. You're like, okay, big words, got to look that up in the dictionary. Inaugurated eschatology, it, it's simply this idea that the end times began with Jesus' triumphal entry, his death, and his resurrection. Okay, we're living in the end times now. It's not something that's to come, but rather we're living in the end times. The end is near. You know, we're not going to get all fancy with our signs, you know, carrying them or anything like that. But the end is near. We're living in the end times. And eschatology isn't about our tinfoil hats. It's not about hiding in our bunkers. It's not about counting the days. Instead, it's truly about missions. Eschatology is about missions. It's reorienting us towards Jesus' kingdom work. Reorienting us to what Jesus came to do, which is to save souls, to establish his kingdom here on earth. See, we believe as Christians that Jesus came to do something radical with his advent. He came to do something very different. He came to establish his kingdom on earth. And what we see throughout his life is that is his message. That's what he preaches. The, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is his message throughout it, and we also believe that while it was initially established here, it's not yet to be fully realized. At Jesus' second coming, that's when the kingdom of God will be fully realized. And in the meantime, we live in this weird spot. We live in this weird spot where we look back at Jesus' triumphal entry, we look back at his crucifixion, we look back at the resurrection, and we're like, okay, there was victory over sin and death, but yet we still long for that second coming. We long for, for the fullness of God to come. We long for the fullness of the kingdom to be realized. And in the meantime, we have work to do. We have work to do as his ambassadors. We're anointed as ambassadors of the kingdom of God to share good news about the king's victory. This is what we're called to do. We look ahead to what Jesus has, we look back to what Jesus has done. We look ahead to what he's going to do. And in the meantime, we are his workers. We say yes to him. We do his work, sharing the good news of the gospel, sharing the good news of the victory of Jesus to all. I want to read a quote this morning from A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Alliance. And in his book, The Fourfold Gospel, he shares this portion about our belief in Jesus as the coming king. And it's this wonderful little portion that I want to read to you. It says, this truth or this belief that Jesus is the coming king will make us peculiar people. Anyone encouraged? You like being weird? This truth will make us a peculiar people. It will take away the charm of the world and separate us from it. It will make us very unlike many selfish and comfortable Christians. And will set our soul on fire to serve God and save men. Right after this, there's a portion that I cut out. But he says, if that means it looks like fanaticism, then fat fanaticism it be. If it means that we're going to be excited, if it means that this is going to shake us up, if it means that our lives are going to be looking different, then let's do it. Like, if we truly believe this, like, this isn't just a story that we read every year. We're like, okay, Jesus marched into Jerusalem on his donkey. Okay, he went up to, uh, guess him, he went up to the Mount, uh, to Golgotha. We got lots of names this morning, and I'm going to blame the sickness uh, for that. He goes to do all of this, and we're like, okay, we tell these good stories every year. What if we truly believe them? What if we truly let them sink into us? What if our inner being, we truly believe that Jesus came to give victory over sin and death? That his coming actually meant something. That his death meant something. That the resurrection meant something. I think it would make us a peculiar people. 
I think it would make us a strange people because we would realize that we are ambassadors of his kingdom. We have work to do as his workers in the harvest. He didn't come just to to do something and then be peace out. He came to give us a work after he's come. He came to give us a work so that we would carry on the gospel message. So what my goal is today is to hopefully help us to see that Jesus' triumphal entry is key to understanding the already but not yet nature of the kingdom. There's a difficult tension that we live in, but I'm hoping that understanding Jesus' triumphal entry will be able to get that a little bit. And so before I I jump into that a lot, I want to begin by talking about why Jesus had to come. In order for us to have a good understanding of all that's at play in this holy week leading up to Jesus' passion, we need to understand why Jesus had to come in the first place. Why did Jesus have to, to ride into Jerusalem? Well, I want to read from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is where we start out. This is the reason that we need Jesus to come. By nature, we are deserving of God's wrath. Because of our, our, the sin of Adam and Eve, we're all born with a propensity towards sin. Like we can look back at our lives and like, okay, well, I messed up there. I went wrong here. I went wrong there. That's part of our nature. We're going to to choose wrong again and again and again. It's who we are because of the curse of the fall. And we need someone to go in and take our place. Because every one of us turned to sin. You're like, oh, not me, pastor. Okay. Like, wait until you get to the red light out there. Like, you'll you'll do it before we end out of the parking lot today. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. We lie, we hate, we steal, we commit adultery, we tell just those little white lies. We, we all do something that isn't measuring up to what God has for our lives. We all go our own way instead of following after God's way. And, and I know this is a lot of bad news so far, but we're going to get to the good news in just a second. Because on our own, we're unable to save ourselves. On our own, we're unable to turn away from our sin, which means something radical has to happen. It means something radical has to change this. Because if we're unable to do it on our own, God isn't just going to leave us like, well, they're doomed. Instead, he bridges the gap. He makes a way. Something radical needed to happen, and it did in the person of Jesus. See, the Son of God became man so that men could become sons of God. He came so that you and I might live, so that we might be reconciled to the Father, so that we might be children of God. I want to read Luke 4, verses 16 through 21. It says, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, we were all enslaved to sin. Every single one of us were enslaved to sin, always going our own way. But Jesus came to set us free. The Spirit of the Lord God was upon him to proclaim good news to the poor. You and I are the poor. You and I are the ones who are captive. You, are, you and I are the ones who are, are prisoners. He came to proclaim good news to us. And it wasn't just a good news that he's proclaiming, but how he lives, what he does, is the very good news that we need. He is the gospel. See, Jesus' life in his first coming was about defeating death. It's about defeating sin. This is the good news of the gospel. You and I no longer have to be dead in our trespasses. You and I no longer have to be dead in our sin. Instead, we can have new life because of what Jesus has done. This is the good news of the gospel. Okay, you guys got to wake up a little bit, say amen once or twice, because I think everyone's about to fall asleep out there. Like, this is good news. Okay, there we go. Now don't go back to sleep. All right. Jesus is Lord, and that changes everything. Jesus is Lord, and that changes everything. This is what we're talking about here. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to be dead in your trespasses anymore. You don't have to be dead in your sin anymore. You can be free because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he came to proclaim. That's what he came to do. And this change is precisely what we're seeing happening in Jesus' triumphal entry. He's taking his place as the rightful king. He's coming to say that I am king. I am Lord. All of these other kingdoms, inferior. Everything else must bow. Caesar, Lord? No. Jesus, Lord. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy recorded in Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, Jesus is the true king. He is the, the true king. King. The king uh, of the air, the kingdom of darkness, that's not the true king. The kingdoms of this world, they're not true kingdoms. Only Jesus is the true king. He's the only one worthy to sit on the throne. The only one that can take that place as God's true son, as the true heir of David. And what you may not know is that Jesus' triumphal entry is not the first time a king of Israel has ridden into Jerusalem. It's not the first time that this has happened. I'm not going to read all of it because it's a bit of scripture, but I'm going to encourage you to go to 1 Kings 1 this week and just read that chapter. I'm going to summarize what happens there to get us on the same page. But in 1 Kings 1, David is on his deathbed. He, he's sick, he's on his deathbed, and one of his sons, Adonijah, he, he wrongly declares himself king. He says, I'm king, my father's over here, he's dying, no one's taking his place, no one's on the throne, I guess I gotta do it. And so he declares himself king, and, and what he does is he mounts himself chariots and war horses, and he rides forth. And what happens is ultimately Adonijah is not the rightful king. 
He's not the one that's been anointed as king. He's not the promised king. Solomon is the promised king. Solomon is the anointed king. And so in response, David uh, tells Solomon to ride into Jerusalem on David's mule. He says, no, this kingdom isn't like this. It's not one by force. It's not one with war. It's one that's humble. And as Solomon rides into Jerusalem, the people uh, of Israel respond. They respond by playing music. They respond by rejoicing. The same things we see in Jesus' triumphal entry. See, the false king tried to take everything by force. Tried to say, this is mine. I'm going to declare my authority over this place. But the true king rode in humbly. The true king came in on a donkey. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what is at play when Jesus humbly goes into Jerusalem. See, the current ruler, Satan, maintains his kingdom by force. He maintains his kingdom by deception. He says, I am ruler, I am king, I am the one who's in charge. He tries to make himself something when he is, in fact, nothing. But Jesus, on the other hand, spreads his kingdom a different way. He does it through gentleness. He does it through invitation. And this is an upside-down sort of kingdom because it's altogether different than the way the world operates. It's altogether different because Jesus is gentle. He's humble. He came to, to serve, and his kingdom is one of love. His kingdom is one of love. If we remember back to that most obscure verse we've ever heard in John 3, 16, we know because of God's great love for us, he sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is why Jesus was sent. Because of God's love for us, Jesus came to defeat sin and death on the cross. And he did it. He was crucified for our sins, which we'll talk more about on Friday. He was resurrected for our sins, which we'll talk more about next Sunday. He provided himself as the sacrifice for our sins. He took our place. He took the death that we deserve. And one day, he will come back to establish his kingdom fully. He will come back to fully establish his kingdom. A couple weeks ago, we, we learned about this a little bit in Acts 1, where we looked at Acts 1.8. Right after Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he ascends into heaven. And the disciples are left looking around. They're like, what, what do we do? What, what is happening? What's going on? And at that moment, angels are there. And they tell the disciples, hey, it's okay. This Jesus, this Jesus, he will return the same way he just left. He will come back. And this is good news for us. Because it means that one day everything is going to be restored. Everything is going to be made new. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. All the difficulties of this world will be gone because Jesus' kingdom will be fully established on this earth. And so we look forward to that day. We long for that day. We say, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. We long for it. It'll be a sweet, sweet day. Every injustice will be made right. No more tears, no more pain, no more weeping, no more wrong. It's going to be a wonderful and glorious day. But I want to step back for a moment. 
I want to step back to the triumphal entry because I want to, to catch a couple of things. See, as we enter into to Passion Week, I want us to remember that Jesus' death and, and resurrection are primarily about his kingdom being inaugurated. They're primarily about the inauguration of a new king. It's saying something new is at work. I want to read a quote from N.T. Wright, or we can say the Reverend Dr. Doctor, because he has two doctorates. It says, the disciples wanted a kingdom without a cross. Many Christians in our world have wanted a cross without a kingdom. So what does this, what does this mean? Let me break it down for us. See, the first disciples, they were ecstatic to be there when Jesus is, when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Like, finally, Jesus is going to restore the kingdom of Israel. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. The Messiah is here. He's going to ride into Jerusalem. He's going to take it by force. He's going to pull out his sword, and he's going to, to free us from Roman oppression. They're excited for that. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See, they thought Jesus was going to free them. They thought everything was going to be made new. But they didn't truly understand what that freedom looked like. See, they were thinking on the earth. They were thinking that he was going to free them from Roman oppression. They thought, finally, Israel was going to be free. Finally, the Messiah has come. Finally, Israel will be made right. But Jesus says, this is so much bigger than you realize. So much bigger then you realize he frees them instead from the kingdom of darkness. He frees them instead from the sting of death. He does above and beyond what they can think or imagine, but still the disciples don't get it. The disciples were thinking here and now while Jesus is thinking always and forever. They're just thinking about here. They couldn't understand. They couldn't understand that his kingdom was so much bigger than their hopes. All they could see was what was in front of them. In fact, they, they end up abandoning Jesus after his crucifixion. See, they're proclaiming, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the one. This is the guy. This is our horse who has become the Messiah. By, by horse, that's like the horse that you bet on. Not like an actual horse. Sickness. They're saying, this is our guy. He is the one who has come to proclaim liberty to the captives, and we are the captives. We are under oppression. We are in exile. But then, just a few days later, they abandon him. They leave him by himself because they didn't understand. They didn't understand. See, and on us, I, I think it's kind of the opposite. I think we often think about the always and the forever instead of the here and the now. See, we only think about heaven, we only think about our future hope, and we become disciples of Jesus. We, we place our trust in Jesus, and we await the day where we're reunited with him. It's going to be a beautiful and glorious day. We're excited about his eternal kingdom, but we often do little for his kingdom now. See, we're the opposite of the disciples, but the kingdom of God is a both-and sort of kingdom. It is both here and now and always and forever. It's already, but it's not yet at the same time. And we should live in light of this reality. 
We should live in light of the reality that, yes, Jesus has conquered. He has defeated sin and death, and that should motivate us to live for his kingdom. It should motivate us to, to love others, to, to, to live this out, to share the gospel. See, Jesus' message throughout his ministry, it can be summed up in this single phrase. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, everything that Jesus did, every single thing that Jesus did was about the kingdom of God. It was about showing the love of God, realizing, helping people to realize that something new is at play. That he has come to set the captives free. That he's come to overcome sin, to overcome death, to provide new life. To make a way where there was no way. To reconcile the loss to the Father. And at his second coming, the dead will be resurrected. The dead will be resurrected with those who trust in Jesus, resurrected to eternal life, and those who do not, resurrected to eternal death in hell. At Jesus' second coming, heaven and earth will meet as the heavenly city will be fully established upon the earth. The new Jerusalem will be here, where God will fully dwell with man. It's going to be a glorious day because we're going to join in with the angels. We sing the song, Revelation song earlier, and night and day, that's going to be what we're going to be doing. There's a group uh, of angels who are just so enthralled by who God is. They're just fixated upon him that night and day, forever and ever, they've just been singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they're echoed, worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who was and is and is to come. We get to join in with that at Jesus' second coming, with the new Jerusalem coming down. This is our eternity. To be so enthralled by God that we can't help but saying, Holy, holy, holy. To have such a revelation of who he is. And I can promise you in that moment, we're all going to wish we had done more. We're all going to wish we had lived more fully for God's kingdom. If we would have just realized how good that's going to be, we would live completely differently now. We're going to be so enamored by who he is that we're just going to say, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. That's what's to come for us. That's when the kingdom is fully established. How should we live now? How should we respond to the truth, knowing that Jesus is coming back, knowing that his kingdom is going to be fully established? How should we live now? When T. Wright says that one day the kingdom will come. One day it will come fully and finally. In the meantime, we have a job to do. In the meantime, we have a task. There's something for us to do. See, too often we've reduced the idea of salvation, we've reduced the idea of the Easter message to just our personal salvation. Check. I done did that. I prayed the prayer. I asked Jesus into my heart. Show me where that is in Scripture. It says, come, be my disciple. Come, follow me. Lay everything down. 
including our way of life. See, the gospel is about being invited into God's family. It's about being a participant in and an ambassador of God's kingdom. When we say yes to Jesus, that shouldn't just be a prayer. That shouldn't just be a quick, okay, I'll follow you. Instead, it should radically change us. When we say yes to Jesus, it's saying no to everything else. When we declare that Jesus is Lord, we're also saying that Caesar is not Lord. We're saying that the things of this world, they can pass away, but Jesus I will hold on to. Being a participant in God's kingdom requires us to live in accordance with the king's will. It requires us to say, yes, we're under the king's dominion. Kingdom. We're under his dominion. It's requiring us to live as Jesus requires us to live. Remember that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not just giving us words to pray. He's saying, this is my desire. This is what I want you to pray. I want you to see this happen. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so for us, that means placing everything at Jesus' feet. Placing everything at his feet. We must lay everything down in pursuit of the way of Jesus. That means all of the, the sin that we like, we have to lay it down. Our way of life, we have to lay it down. Our thoughts, our dreams, our, our wants, lay that down at the foot of Jesus. We're ambassadors of his kingdom, not our own kingdom. His kingdom. I mean, saying yes to him and no to us. Let's not be people who pervert what it means to participate in God's kingdom. Instead, let's seek out the way of Jesus. Let's seek out what scripture says about following Jesus. Let's lay ourselves down at the foot of the cross. You and I are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And being ambassador requires us to make known the way of the king. That's the job of an ambassador. It's to go into a foreign land and to represent the king. To do the king's business in a foreign land. That's our job. That's the work that we have. So Jesus' kingdom has been inaugurated. It's here and now, but it's still to come as well. It's already, but not yet. And you and I live in that in-between. We live in that tension place. And our job in that place of tension is to do the king's business. We're to make known the gospel to those around us, standing firm in the truth of Scripture, saying this is the way, follow it. This Jesus truly is this good. He truly overcame death. He truly died for your sins. This should be our message. We shouldn't be afraid to do the work of the kingdom. Instead, we should be excited about it. We should look at the things that Jesus did and do those things. We should love the unlovable. We should eat with the sinner. We should proclaim liberty to the captive. Because this is what we saw Jesus doing. This was the way of the kingdom. See, The way of King Jesus is found in humility. It's found in sacrifice. It's found in love. That's what we see Jesus doing throughout his life. What's so remarkable about this triumphal entry is when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, 
He's hearing the shouts of Hosanna. He's hearing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's writing in, doing so with full knowledge that everyone's about to abandon him. He's going into Jerusalem knowing that everyone is about to abandon him. He has full knowledge of what's to come. He knows these same people who will be nowhere to be found. The ones who are saying, blessed is he. They're going to abandon him. But he presses on anyway. He presses on because of his great love. Because of his love for all of humanity, he presses on. He goes to the cross. He dies the death that he doesn't deserve. And he's resurrected to new life to pay for our transgressions. To make the way where there was no way. To provide new life for you and I. What a king we have in Jesus. A king that's like no other. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There is no one like this Jesus. There's no one like him. He came to bring peace. He came to establish his kingdom in love. As we survey this, as we look to what Jesus did, as we look at the triumphal entry, knowing full and well what stood ahead of him, knowing full and well all of these people were about to abandon him, Yet he still did it. He pressed on because he loved them. That's beautiful. It's such a wonderful God that we have. That he looks past our sin. He looks past our transgression and he says, I will bridge the gap. I will be the one who gives my life so that they may live. They don't understand. They don't get it. But he does. And that's good news for you and I because we go astray time and time and time again. We don't get it. One moment we're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And two seconds later, we're doing our own thing. And yet his grace remains. His love remains. And what we have to do is surrender to him. Declare him Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for where I've erred. Forgive me for where I've gone astray. Come truly be Lord of my life. Come truly be the King of my life. And he forgives us. And he shows us his grace. And he pours out his mercy. And with a king like that, how can we not want to be ambassadors of his kingdom? How can we not want to serve him? See, it's my prayer that we will be so moved by what Jesus has done that we'll be so moved by his way that we would respond in his same humility, in his same love, that we would take the message of the kingdom to the world that desperately needs it. See, we must be people that see that the king has come, that a new way of life has been inaugurated, that a new order is here, and it's the way of the kingdom, it's the way of Jesus. We have to be people that see that. But we also have to be people that look ahead to what is to come. That he's not just the king that came, but he's also the coming king. And when he comes back, his kingdom will be fully established. One day, no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain. The king has come, he's on the move, and he's coming again. And our responsibility now is to respond to this king to lay down our lives to follow him. 
And so let's press on. Let's press on because of his great love for us. Let's remember the sacrifice. Let's remember his triumphal entry. Let's proclaim, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then live for his kingdom. Let's be spent for the sake of his kingdom, so that we might hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. So thankful for your kingdom. so thankful that you came near to us in Jesus. Despite our sin, despite our trespasses, despite our, our wrongdoing, you saw that you wanted to redeem us. That you wanted to make us whole. And you poured yourself out. You took our place. Even when we didn't give it, even when we say we want to follow you and we turn away, you still did it for us. Because your love is greater than our sin. Your love is greater than our transgression. We are so thankful for your mercy. So thankful for your grace that you lavish upon us. How we look forward to the day that you return. The day when your, your kingdom is made full on the earth. How we long for that. We say, come, Lord, quickly. God, we're tired, we're weary. God, we want you to return. But in the meantime, help us to be strong. Help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom. Help us to do your work and your will. Move in our lives, Lord. Ignite our hearts today, God. Burn within us in a new and fresh way. And for the weary, pour out your spirit. For the broken, pour out your spirit. God, in every heart here, God, I just pray that you would touch. That you would move. God, you know what we're going through. You know the struggles that we have this morning. And I pray that you would just pour out a baptism of peace upon us. A baptism of your love upon us this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.